and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, or even ignored. Prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK, and with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Charlie Labosque, Clinical Application Specialist for Prostate Care Limited. Charlie's been a critical link in the theaters where men are biopsied and treated for prostate cancer for nearly two decades. And he supported clinicians and operational staff alike. He's got a unique and valuable perspective on the advance and adoption of technology in the diagnosis and treatment of prostate cancer. And he's here today to talk about his view from the front line. Charlie, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Claire. Thank you for asking me. So you've been in this business for a long time, as we say, and um, hence why it's taken me with such persistence to get you here, because I know you have a lot to share. I guess the first thing I just want to say is, you know, you've been a, I love this term, clinical application specialist in the field of prostate cancer for, well, I think I said almost two decades, but maybe you can clarify that and just tell us a little bit about what that role means. What is a clinical application specialist? So it's actually about 16 years, in fact. So what we do as uh, clinical application specialists is the various companies that I work for um, provides the equipment and the technical expertise for the surgeons to use in their diagnosis and their treatment of prostate cancer. A good way of describing this as an analogy is in the same way that rock bands have roadies who set up all their equipment and manage their sound desk whilst they're playing their instruments and doing their stuff. We have a similar role within theatres. We set all the equipment up. We're very knowledgeable in how the equipment works and the best ways of getting it to suit what the surgeon wants to do. Mm -hmm. Um, We set everything up for them. They carry out the procedure And our role is to help them get into the best possible position to be able to do the procedure itself. Okay. And um, I I appreciate the um, analogy of roadies for rock bands because uh, I know that you actually are a rock musician yourself. So you're kind of uh, (laughs) operating on both sides, but that'll be for another interview, I guess. I'm not big enough of a musician to have roadies ourselves. (laughs) So you basically, you're there on the front line with the surgeon and the theater team. um, And of course the patient and you've been doing this for a very long time. So what has changed since then, since you began in terms of both the the technology that you're talking about that you set up and the theater operations themselves? When I first started, I was, this was back in 2005, Mm -hmm. I was working uh, with a company that provided HIFU equipment for treating prostate cancer using ultrasound. Now, at that time, the way I saw it from the technical point of view is the various technology companies were competing to come up with better ways of treating prostate cancer. I say the technology companies were coming up. Most of this, all of this is actually driven by the doctors Mm -hmm. and the technology companies are looking to find ways and ways of using the science to develop better ways of treating prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, That continued for probably until about 2009. And then there was a sudden, it seemed to me, there was a sudden shift in where the technology expertise was focused. Previously, it had been all about finding better ways of treating prostate cancer to get a really good level of cure, but to reduce the level of side effects. Around about 2009, the technology companies started coming up with better ways of diagnosing prostate cancer. 
I say the technology companies, it's not the technology companies that come up with the ideas, it's the clinicians that come up with the ideas. And then the technology companies go away and work on how they do that. So the emphasis shifted from different ways of treating prostate cancer to different ways of getting the best possible diagnosis that you could for prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And so is that is that where the um, multiparametric MRI made its debut? Not quite. From where I am as working in theatres, I see the technology when it actually is sufficiently developed to be able to be used in theatres. Mm -hmm. Whilst all this is going on a long time before you get to that stage, there's an awful lot of research going on in the background with technical companies, but mainly with the doctors. And the first stage, I think, on that was to take biopsies from being a transrectal approach, i.e. putting a needle through the rectum into the prostate, which Mm -hmm. was the standard way of doing biopsies, to using a transperineal approach, Mm -hmm. which is where the probe is still in the rectum, but the the biopsy needles are actually put through the perineum and they're horizontal. And it's a much easier way of doing what they used to refer to as prostate mapping. Mm -hmm. Rather than doing fairly random biopsies, they could take very systematic biopsies covering the prostate to do the best they could to make sure they weren't missing anything. Mm-hmm. Now that that kind of transperineal biopsy developed from um, brachytherapy and cryotherapy where you had equipment that set up a grid on the perineum so you could put your needles through at specific intervals to be able to cover the whole of the prostate. Oh, so uh, the, the, in this case, the treatment informed the diagnostic approach? Yes, I, I, it's difficult to say. I, I wasn't involved in that part of it, but they were doing, I know when I first started, clinicians were doing cryotherapy and brachytherapy, which involves using these needle-based mm-hmm. setups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, they began to use those, or they, they were using those in order to do transperineal mapping biopsies. Okay. What happened after that, or again, this will have all been being developed at the same time, is that the the technical and clinical teams were working on developing the MRIs to such an extent that the MRIs could give an indication, a form of pre-diagnostic as to where the suspicious areas may be within the Mm. prostate. And one of the things I specifically remember, when we first started providing this equipment to do transperineal biopsies, the surgeons were coming into theatres with MRI reports of MRIs that had been taken prior to the biopsy. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at these MRI reports and saying, OK, I want to I'm going to do a, a full mapping setup, but I want to focus on this area or these areas because the MRI reports were telling them that that's where the suspicious areas were likely to be. Mm -hmm. So that helped to guide them. And they came up with this term, or the term that I heard all the time, was cognitive fusion. Mm -hmm. And cognitive fusion was effectively where the surgeons had all the equipment, which gave them a live ultrasound image. Mm -hmm. And they had equipment to effectively be able to put the needles exactly where they wanted to. Okay. But they had to take the written report of the MRI and work out in their heads which holes they needed to put the needles through in order to get into that area. Because there was nothing on the live ultrasound image that could mark out that area. You Mm -hmm. can't really see prostate cancer. You can't see prostate cancer on ultrasound. Mm -hmm. So they talked about cognitive fusion. And, And these guys are brilliant at doing this kind of thing. However, 
often surgeons would say to me, what would be really great is if we could superimpose these diagrams that the radiologists are giving us as to where the likely areas of cancer are, if we could superimpose that on top of the live ultrasound image so we have the targets marked out. Yeah, like a filter or like a tracing paper. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's like written over the top. Now, that would have been in probably sort of 2010, 2011. Okay. When I think it probably started effectively in efficient systems, probably in my experience in around 2014. And so this is the Um, actual MRI fusion you're referring to? That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. So this is where companies came up with software in order to actually do do this process where you you can superimpose the targets on top of the actual ultrasound image. Mm -hmm. So the way they manage that is by various different software methods. But effectively, in a nutshell, what happens is the MRI is taken in slices. Okay. Uh, If software package enables the radiologist to outline the prostate at each slice and then to outline all of the suspicious areas at each Mm -hmm. slice. Mm -hmm. And if you imagine that creates almost like a framework, like if you imagine an egg in an egg slicer, you have all of those various slices, you end up with a sort of a cartoon of the Mm -hmm. outside of the prostate and where the suspicious areas are. Mm -hmm. What then happens is you have that loaded into your software before you start the procedure. The live ultrasound is linked into the computer, into the software, and effectively the live ultrasound is broadcast and via a series of captures and manipulations, you can manipulate your cartoon, as it were, to Mm -hmm. fit the actual live image of the prostate. And once you've got that live image overlaid you can lock that down using the software and then as the surgeon moves the probe in order to get to the areas that they want to to take the biopsies the fusion goes with it so i'm going to pick up on your funny popular cultural um, analogy from earlier on and say it sounds like a video game a little more sophisticated than that (laughs) but Um, but, uh, seriously in all seriousness are there then um you know um, simulations to you know to for surgeons to actually learn how to actually you know, superimpose this. I know the software does it, but then to actually practice exactly what you've just described. Well, there, there are different sorts of fusion. There yeah. is uh, what is called elastic fusion and there's what is called rigid fusion. Now, elastic fusion is where you have a software program that you outline the prostate with your mouse at various levels. And then the little cartoon that we talked about earlier fits itself around that shape of the prostate And the various mathematical algorithms adjust the shape in order to predict where the suspicious areas are. Okay. That's one method of doing it. You also have a method of rigid fusion, whereby the cartoon that you have is exactly the same shape as the MRI image of the prostate. Mm -hmm. Then it's more a question of making sure you're not squashing the prostate when you have the live ultrasound image and, and you overlay it. I mean, we talk about fusion. It isn't really fusion. It's overlay. Yeah. You're okay. overlaying one image over the top of the other. But you're sort so, of using two technologies or two imaging yeah, technologies, yeah, I suppose. Is that exactly. So, if, if, so I mean, what you're describing, is it considered to be kind of the gold standard that, you know, everyone should have access to this very sophisticated, very precise form? of um, Um, biopsy that's not really for me to say because uh, we should perhaps have said this at the beginning i'm not a doctor 
Yeah, um, no, I understand that. But I guess where I was going with that was, do you, do you actually see variation? I mean, do, do most hospitals do this procedure? Well, because I work for a private company and we take our equipment to hospitals who do these procedures but don't do enough of them to necessarily warrant buying the equipment, I don't really see the areas where it's being used with people who with hospitals that have already bought their equipment. Bear in mind, this is cancer care. So um, the NHS hospitals will have the wherewithal to do these transperineal biopsies. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they're able to do fusion or not, I don't necessarily see, I'm afraid. But I mean, given that you've seen this advance from paper or, you know, sort of physical uh, MRI images and, and the cognitive process that you described earlier, You've seen that trend, you know, sort of emerge into the to the fusion that you've described. You know, I'm, I'm not asking you to look into a crystal ball, but what do you yeah. think are the key technological trends that might be driving, you know, even more precision or, you know, more widespread adaptation? Any any thoughts on that? Well, again, it's difficult for me to say because I don't see what the doctors are working on at the moment. If I put a patient hat on, as mm-hmm. it were, mm-hmm. and try to imagine what I would like to be able to see as a patient. What would be really fantastic is if the MRI could be definitive in its diagnosis of what is cancer and what isn't cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea whether that is ever going to be possible or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that all surgeons would feel that it gives them a better indication, a better understanding of what's going on in the prostate is if they have technology that can not only tell them where the cancer is, but can also tell them with some level of certainty that there isn't any cancer anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's still very difficult at the moment. There are lots of ways where it feels they can get close to that. But I don't think anybody could say, I know that there is only cancer there and there's nothing anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know, I suppose go back many years, they probably wouldn't have been able to tell where anything was anyway. Mm, um, so things things have developed quite significantly at the moment. And if that carries on, then that may make life a lot easier for them. What I do know is once the surgeons that we've worked with have started using this technology, they don't want to stop. They don't want to go back to, mm. to not using fusion. Right. So oh, that is an interesting observation. And, and you know, final point, I guess, is, you know, we, we've talked about technology and adaptation. How, how do you see that playing out in terms of the actual operation of the theater? I mean, are the procedures quicker? Do you find them more efficient? Are there fewer people that are required to undertake these procedures because of this technology or, you know, what have you seen changing um, in the actual operation of the, of the theater itself in, in your time? That's a very good question. I'm not sure that much has changed because it revolves very much around the surgeon getting the needles into exactly those areas of the prostate that the surgeon wants to get the needles into. Mm-hmm however much equipment you have, that process still needs to take place. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the theatre operation has changed a great deal other than the areas of targeting that are clearly marked out for the surgeon. Mm, Um, But other than that, it's still the same process, I would say. Charlie, I mean, you are somebody who's been incredibly devoted to you know, the, the, the support of this um, incredible advancement of technology, you've seen so much. And, and you know, I think it's important that all patients understand, um, you know, what the roadies are doing just was when you go and see <laughs> the, uh, the rock band, you know, we know that all wouldn't be possible without the roadies behind. So, so thanks so much for, um, for sharing all that with us. I think it's um, 
it's really important and it's really fascinating. And you're, you know, you've been so devoted to it. So I think you're a rarity. Thanks very much for joining well, me. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Thank you, Claire. A transcript of this interview is available on, on the program notes on our website, along with further information on diagnostics and treatment for prostate cancer, along with additional interviews and stories about living and treating prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Focal Therapy Clinic. Thanks for listening. And from me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.